welcome to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today I have the privilege of chatting with the executive director of the South Baltimore Gateway Partnership. Please welcome Brad Rogers. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, it is such a pleasure to be here. Uh, this is this is going to be great. I, I think um, it's always um, just kind of wrapping up this 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 interesting week of of interviews that I've I've done and been posting. I'm on like both ends of it. I don't know what day it is anymore. That's just how busy I've been. <laughs> That's good. So um, yes, it is. It's good to be busy, especially if it's something that you, you enjoy and something that um, is contributing to, I guess, the vibrancy and development of the city of Baltimore. Absolutely. Um, so I want to start off by for those who are undipped, um, we we've seen like the letters, we've seen you know the South Baltimore Gateway Partnership on banners and things of that nature and on websites, but we don't know like really who are the people behind it. So I want to have you um, go back through and introduce yourself and tell us about your work. Sure. So again, I'm Brad Rogers, and I'm the executive director. And the South Baltimore Gateway Partnership is a really interesting organization, and I'm very lucky uh, to get to work there. Our story is this. When slot machine gambling was legalized in Maryland, the legislation said that some of the money had to come back to the neighborhoods around the casino to support and build up those neighborhoods. And as the city began going through the work of trying to spend that money, in neighborhoods across South Baltimore, what they found really quickly was that the machinery of city government isn't really well designed to take a stream of new revenue and get it quickly out to support catalytic projects um, in a designated set of neighborhoods. And we realized we needed a better solution. So now what we have is we've created South Baltimore Gateway Partnership as a community economic development authority a special purpose organization that gets half the casino revenues coming to Maryland, which for us means between seven and $9 million a year. And we are charged with making great things happen in the neighborhoods in our district as quickly and dramatically as we can. And my job is amazing because, and the reason why I don't even ever know what day it is, is because if I don't get the money out the door quick enough, Everybody yells at me, which is fantastic. That's exactly the way it should be. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's just like deadlines always be getting money out. Get 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 to work. Do the things. Exactly. We've got a lot to do in this city. So and thank you for, for sharing that. Um, and one, one of the things that I read with within um, the, the story component, and I saw that on there very briefly on the website, um, that one of the things that's important is fulfilling a promise, right? Um, and to have those resources uh, used to improve those those communities. So speak on the importance of keeping and following through on promises, especially in your line of work. Oh, that is so important. I'm really glad you asked about that. If you look at Baltimore neighborhoods, there is a deep, ingrained, and frankly, well-earned cynicism about the possibilities of change that is rooted in a legacy of broken promises, mm-hmm. of great speeches from elected officials that disappear, of funding streams that never seemed to deliver what they said they were going to, of big projects that never generate the positive social impact that they are advertised to do. And so because of that, we've developed uh, an earned but unfortunate cynicism about the possibility of real transformative change. And so uh, keeping your promises, achieving what you said you were going to do, being effective, being professional, 
these things are critical to building the hope and the the political will and the and the um, the chance for communities to really aspire to more and know that they're that that is a realistic thing for them to do. So I feel like just being effective, just being productive, is in some ways a radical act in a city like Baltimore, where we've had so many disappointments and false starts and uh, and things like that. Yeah, and I, and I think that's one of the things that's often left out of the conversation when people have their their usually well, mostly ill informed uh, hot takes about the city. It's not these are things that are baked in, like some of the things that are the the soft spot, well, the sore spots, some of the scabs, some of those abrasions within the city, part of those are baked in due to those like broken promises and these these good speeches, but not much much follow through. So I, I thank you for really keying in on that and making that a part of the, the process of what, what your work is. It's like we're, we're keeping promises because ultimately when I think when any entity, whether it's developer, whether it's uh, new leadership, what have you, comes in, that means change. And change is always kind of like, yeah, let's flick a thumb at it. I don't believe in it. And um, so it's already playing at a deficit. And I find that some leaders, when they're coming in, they want to they want to just identify problems and make changes versus getting granular in it. So tell me about your your approach in in the the realm in which you're working in in terms of like trying to in- install changes what is that that listening tour like what is that approach like for you yeah so first of all let me just say that the respect is always earned particularly if you're a newcomer coming into an established community sure. and the way we approach this work is that we want to be partners we want to be supporters, we want to be enablers, and we want to be able to, and we want to be force multipliers for the real people who should be really driving the conversation, which is the leadership in the communities we represent. And so our job is to build long-lasting relationships with them, to mm-hmm. learn what they're looking for and what they think are top priorities, and then provide the tools that they can use to take advantage of opportunities that come their way to make their neighborhoods better. So for example, we, yes, we spend money on behalf of the neighborhoods, but we also provide grants to the neighborhoods. So we provide a million to a million and a half dollars a year just to nonprofit and community organizations in our district doing the work on the ground. And to know that there is there are resources available and that they'll be back year after year after year. We have two grant cycles every year just to make sure that if you've got a good idea, it's never more than a couple of months before you can ask for the support to make it happen. And that really begins to build trust because now we're putting our money where our mouth is. The resources are there, not just for an outside consultant to come in and tinker with your neighborhood, but for you as a neighborhood leadership, as yeah. the church, as a community association, as a nonprofit, as a youth group, to actually do the projects you've been dreaming about doing. And whether that's $2,000 to have a block party, or whether that's $20,000 to have a community garden, or whether it's $100,000 to build an entire youth program, 
We have those resources available. And so connecting in the long term, positioning the community leaders to be in the driver's seat with us as the helpers and serving as a bridge between the people who care and the resources needed to get work done. That's our sweet spot. Love to hear it. Um, so I think the, 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 the next question may, and maybe that kind of works as a segue, but I, I believe that obviously differences are inevitable, right? Like, you know, we can have like, we get, there's multiple ways to get to a destination. And I might say, this is the best way. And yours might be like, nah, I prefer to fly, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So how do you productively disagree? Cause I think that that's a thing that people mm-hmm. don't get. It's like, we have the same end goal, but sometimes it's like, I don't know if we should do that. Like, I, I know that there's this kind of this belief that, you know, from from people in in, in culture, people in the art scene is we have to save ourselves. We're the only one who really be able to get us out of this. And we can't expect someone to come in with a magic bullet and save us. So so tell me about that, that kind of being productively being able to disagree productively. Right. So the. Uh, from my perspective, the real question always begins with, why is this person disagreeing with me? What is happening here, right? Do we, first of all, do we have very different goals and aspirations? If we do, then we've got a really big substantive, substantive problem that we're going to have to figure out. But almost all the time, that's not true. And so uh, if we share the same values, if we're trying to get to the same place. If we both want to go out to dinner and we're just talking about whether it's Chinese or Thai, then then uh, then we're not really having a disagreement. We're having a conversation. And I need to make sure that I conduct myself in a manner that is de-escalatory and, uh, and acknowledges very visibly that I share their values, that I respect their passion, that I agree with them on the fundamentals, that we are both hungry and need to eat. <laughs> and we're just talking about where we're going to sit down and what we're going to order. Yeah. The um, sometimes that disagreement is rooted in learning through lived experience that the only way you ever get anywhere is by arguing and raising your voice. Because as I said, if you have a long history of failure and broken <laughs> promises and being disrespected, yeah. you learn from the system how to make the system go and raising your voice and accusing people and stomping your feet is a very rational, effective solution to a dysfunctional system that you don't believe has your best interests at heart. And so uh, trying to establish that um, I'm on your side, we're going to do this together and you're going to get the support you need, irrespective of whether you stomp your feet (laughs) um, can help to, bring down the level of intensity of conversation. And and also, from my perspective, starting with core priorities. You know, I feel like that sort of Maslow's hierarchy of, uh, of needs, yeah. every community has that on their own. And while I can't help with everything, if I come in and I say, I've got a great idea, I want to help you all have bike lanes they're going to immediately respond with, well, what about the broken basketball court that we've been complaining about for five years that right. nobody will fix that we've called and we've written letters and we've, you know, and they're going to say, if you're starting off talking about a bike lane and you don't know or care about the, 
basketball hoop that's broken, yeah. then you're not really here for us. You're you're doing that bike lane for someone else. Yeah, and it would be a, and it would be a legitimate it would be a legitimate complaint. And so, uh, working your way through the backlog of community needs, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the only way we got as a community of South Baltimore to talking about the big opportunity of the middle branch, the reimagined middle branch project, which I'd love to talk about briefly, sure. but you know, uh, transforming the middle branch into Baltimore's next great waterfront with 11 miles of parks and trails wrapping all the way around from Brooklyn and Cherry Hill all the way over to Port Covington is by starting with the broken basketball hoop that has been a thorn in the community side for years. You got to fix that first, then move to the bench, then move to the streetlight. Then you can start to talk about the big picture. Yeah. I, I think being able to to see those things, like I'm in East Baltimore and, you know, I lived over here as a kid and, and moved back. And this is where the, <clears throat> uh, the, the studio is at and, and home base. And, you know, there, there's, there are changes here, but I don't know if everyone is always included in those changes. So, so to hear that, you know, that there's listening that goes on, I think that that's the, the key starting point because if people just feel like, okay, you're just here to do this. And then it, these other questions kind of come in and, you know, I've seen people who come in with the, again, with the, the promises and things of that nature, who will go into various communities all over the country and, they they don't have an investment there. They don't live in the, the city that they're supporting. They don't live in a neighborhood, let alone that they're supporting and you know claiming to work within. And it's all shapes and sizes of that. So to hear that that there is like this is a a project or a series of projects, and we're trying to do good by the community while partnering and really listening to the community. That's I think that's the best way to go about it. Absolutely. And in fact, you know, I would give you just some concrete examples. We have what we call the South Baltimore Gateway Sports Network, where we have free, we're funding free sports activities after school and on weekends over the summer in low-income parts of our district, um, in, you know, in the parks regularly. But we don't have any coaches. Mm -hmm. I don't have a whistle. We don't have a basketball. We don't have any of that. Because why should we staff up to provide that when you've got amazing local organizations, the Cherry Hill Eagles, the Westport Patriots, Grow Home, which works out of Carroll Park. These are nonprofit grassroots-led efforts, often with people who have been doing this work without any financial support or any, you know, external, you know, legitimacy, just doing it out of the goodness of their hearts um, uh, for years. So, we give grants or contracts to those people who are already doing the work right? so that they can professionalize their operations so that they can grow their organization so they can do it. They can get the insurance they've never had. They can get the, you know, the accounting software they've never had so that they can provide these same things at a higher level and of greater scale than they've ever had the opportunity to do before. And that, Again, is partnership because where where there's uh, where there's somebody local who can do the work, that's often the best person to do that work. Absolutely. So you don't have to come in and replace them. 
and, and I think like, and I encountered this in in doing this this project. I, I would I I can imagine you would you know you understand where I'm coming from with this this next kind of observation. I suppose. Hey, um, can we can we use you as a mouthpiece to talk about the good work that we're doing? I was like, nah, I don't know if that works. So I, it, when it comes to like working in this capacity, I'm very I have to I have to do the vetting process. Like, are these people doing good stuff? Because ultimately people look for an agent to talk about the great stuff that they're doing. And and it's a weird balance because you want to show what you're doing and, and how you're involved in the community and really in a substantive sort of way. But also you, for, for the ones that I think are kind of doing it right, I guess you don't want to feel like you're taking credit and overshadowing with the people who are already doing that good work. It's like, I'm just giving you guys that, that kind of oomph, that extra, as you were saying, like this, this kind of professionalization of what you're doing and being able to scale and grow. And, you know, it's, it's only so far and how, so long that this love and goodness out of your heart can really drive you. You need sometimes an assistant, you need, sometimes you need help. So, um, that's, that's kind of that balance that happens at times. Definitely. And let me just say as somebody, you know, um, who, who uh, is involved in doing this work, uh, it makes my life harder. It makes our management task harder, our accountability to elected officials harder when we're working with a young, inexperienced, fledgling organization that will someday, you know, be a, a, you know, an institution than it is to bring in an outside expert who can parachute in, get the work done, have all the invoices in on time, and then bug out uh, and you know that make hiring that outside expert would make my life easier. Right. But in terms of substantive change at the neighborhood level, building the local institutions, it doesn't. So part of my job is to have a harder job, mm-hmm. right? To take on the burden of working with organizations that uh, that can't check all the boxes in their first year, yeah. because otherwise they're never going to get to be that organization. Yeah. And and I think that's what some of the work folks are doing in terms of like impact related work or have you. That's it's big. It's important. And um, yeah, I think it is it business or is it change? And I think when people start looking at change and trying to build up community and try to build up what it means to be part of a culture, that's that's big. So with that, I want to ask um, from your from your viewpoint, what are some of the things that define a culture and why must culture be at the heart of the healthy development of a community? That's a great question. So, uh, well, I'm going to answer that in a couple of ways. And I want to actually take it out of the warm and fuzzy and start to talk about it in, um, in kind of cold analytical economic sure. terms, right? Sure. First of all, as a, as a city, we are, terrible at identifying our strengths and our assets. We're great at listing our needs. Don't get me wrong. You need somebody to make a long list of all the things that are wrong that they want someone to fix. We can do that. But as a community, as a city, we've gotten very bad at identifying our assets that we can mobilize to achieve our goals. And that's why we have things like um, amazing cultural and art scenes that uh, fall on deaf ears and are invisible in the larger culture. That's why we have um, beautiful waterfronts that are ignored and overlooked. That's why we have incredible 
historical communities where nobody knows the history of those communities outside the people who live there because we're not capitalizing on our real assets. And so if you want to be able to compete in the marketplace of places, if you want people to choose to live in your neighborhood and not out in uh, the suburbs somewhere, if you want to be able to build housing and market that housing, you need to leverage all the tools at your disposal and culture, the unique, distinctive history and culture of Baltimore and its neighborhoods are a critical part of that. And so you're just leaving value on the table. That's one thing. The other yeah. thing that I would I would point out is that um, neighborhoods are like any other consumer product, right? You don't buy a car for any one reason. People buy cars for multiple reasons. Some people want a fast car. Some people want a safe car. Some people want a cheap car. Some people want a fuel-efficient car. Some people want a red car. Some people want a car with a good speaker system. There's a lot of reasons why any individual would buy a car. And so you can't reduce a neighborhood to crime and education. Crime and education are both important. But that's like saying that people will only buy a car if it's fast or if it's fuel efficient. There's a lot of reasons why people build uh, buy cars. There's a lot of reasons why people choose to live in neighborhoods. And one reason people choose to either move to a neighborhood or to stay in a neighborhood is a feeling of connection, of belonging, of community and attachment that you can't buy. You just have to have. Yeah. And... And if you allow that culture to degrade, that interaction um, between people to fall apart, then suddenly people are looking and they just see a pile of bricks. Do I want this pile of bricks or do I want a different pile of bricks? So the culture is part of what keeps the neighborhood alive. It's like painting a car red, even if it's not very fuel efficient. People might like it because it's a red car. And so you can't afford ever to treat culture or the environment or community or history or architecture or aesthetics as if they are warm and fuzzy topics, not worthy of real serious economic development attention, because often they are the assets that you have to work with. Yeah. And so you've got to use them. Yeah, I, I think when you go to, let's say, different cities and you see what's there, what makes, let's say, New Orleans, New Orleans, what makes New York, New York, they they are very protective of maintaining that. And maybe there is some shift, let's say, over the over the passage of time. But really, there is like a, a kind of an identity. You know where you're at. You see some when you watch a movie and it's like they're going for New York vibe here. And no doubt. I, I find that sometimes. There, there is this conscious effort to kind of reset Baltimore for, and that may not really fit what Baltimore is. There, it's, you know, in some, some, it's many things to many people, right? There are elements of it being an accessible East Coast, Northeast city while still having the sensibilities of the South. Um, there, you know, there's different racial facets there. There, you know, is definitely a very white Baltimore and a very black Baltimore. And I think when people talk about it who are outside of here, they only talk about 
unless the unless the Ravens have won a championship, it's either gun violence or or something on those lines, and none of those other things that really make up what the culture is. But then with that not being out there as publicly as it should be and probably could be, people want to redefine what it is and. You know, you'll have like, like my dad is in the sixties. He'll come back and look in the city because he lives in the county. He'll come in the city. He's like, wow, they tore that down. They changed that. And he just sees like what the reality was for his Baltimore disappearing and changing. And it's hard to really capture what it is. I always look at Baltimore as his people. And if there's not an investment in the things that they need, then the the culture is within the people because it's that shift. So if there's not an investment in the things that they need and they're not included in what that next stage looks like, then you're kind of like selling the selling the culture short. Absolutely, <clears throat> I completely agree. And meanwhile, uh, we as a city have had this inferiority complex, this insecurity, where when we try to communicate who we are to the outside world, we basically say, you know, we're basically like. Uh, uh, DC, <laughs> Philadelphia, New York, only a little bit different. Yeah. And of course, that is a, that's a ridiculous way of trying to present yourself to the world because we are not those places and nobody is going to be fooled. Your analogy to New York and New Orleans are very right. Those are places which you cannot mistake <laughs> for anywhere else. There's no parallel to either of them. Yeah. And so Baltimore needs... The, the, the way that Baltimore grows, the way that Baltimore takes control of its destiny and becomes the next thing it needs to be is by being more and more Baltimore. Yep. You, can't be, you can't get there from here by being more like other cities because that won't work. You just have to be as Baltimore as you can be. Yep. And then you've got something. Be more Baltimore. That was very corny, and I think that's a good. I think that's a good spot to to wrap on. Um, and so we're going to some rapid fire um, questions real quick. Um, so I got four of them. I added one since we were talking because I thought it was kind of funny. Um, so <clears throat> in 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 three words or less, what makes South Baltimore uh, Gateway Partnership successful? Three words or less. Wow. Yeah, these are my 2022 questions I, I went through recently. And I was like, let me update these. Let me listen to some new interviews. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's a good one, yeah. Doing real work. That's a good one. I, I, I like that you combine them. Sometimes people just throw off superlatives. I like that you combine them. Points to you on that one. That degree of difficulty, I like it. Uh, what is that one word that you believe to be the most powerful word in English language? Sorry. Okay. And people find it hard to say that. It's almost like mm-hmm. saying love. It's almost like saying love for some people. Uh, okay. This is my this is my favorite one. This is the one I added. What is your preferred preferred mode of showing appreciation? Is it a snap, clap, a whistle? Like, how do you? Is it like a thumbs up? Like, yeah, that was that was good. Good on you. Laughter, a big belly laugh for me. Like when I recognize that something real has happened, that something transcendent has taken place right in front of me. <laughs> I don't want to shake hands. I don't want to give a high five. I just want to burst out laughing just in a recognition and appreciation i dig it i dig it yeah um i've i've noticed with my partner my, my girlfriend if, if i say something really funny she punches me and i was like this is how you show appreciation violence <laughs> um so that's the last one i got for you um what are the best three things about baltimore 
Like from your standpoint, it could be anything. It could be like, I really like this restaurant. I like going to this park. Um, however you want to frame it, but what are three things that come to you? And there's more than three, obviously, but three things that come to mind for you when you think of these are the best things in Baltimore. Right. So I think that I love that Baltimore has a real, genuine history that is palpable and alive at the surface. And it's not all good history. It's often very bad history. Mm-hmm. But there is a, a feeling of historical continuity with the struggles and challenges of the past, which I find very meaningful as somebody just going around the city all day. And that's different from being in a place which has been fabricated and doesn't have a history, a new suburb, an exurb, something like that, which is designed to... Im- imply history without delivering it. Right. And I find that there is an, um, an honesty and integrity to that. The second thing that I like about Baltimore is that it is a place that is overlooked, ignored, and nobody is looking. And that is actually a place of strength to work from. And I would refer us back again to the Baltimore art scene. If you look at some of the defining characteristics of the cultural scene in Baltimore, what you'll see is an openness to experimentation, a vulnerability, a a degree of interpersonal engagement and risk-taking that you might not get in a place where what you do matters. You're going to get on this blog. So-and-so is going to review your work. That builds an archness and an artifice and a... and a falseness that you don't get when you're just doing it because you want to. Mm-hmm. If that, that leads to a genuineness. And whether that's the, in the music scene or the performing arts, uh, there's a sincerity at work, which I genuinely appreciate. And then the third thing I like is that Baltimore is large enough to be a real city, but is small enough that you can, at a granular level, really get to know all the people that are getting stuff done. And I'm not just talking about a sliver of those people. I'm not just saying everyone from Roland Park feels like they know one another. I mean that the the neighborhoods have leaders and those leaders are visible. The nonprofits have leaders and those people are engaged. The elected officials are part of the conversation. The bloggers and the journalists and the podcasters are all part of this ecosystem and you can really get to know the building by building block by block person by person what this thing is that we're talking about and i love that that's great and thank you thank you for sharing that um so that is essentially everything that I had for today. Um, but I want to, um, one, thank you for being on this podcast. And two, encourage you to, um, if you feel like there's anything that we missed that you really wanted to key in on before we wrap up, here's your chance. And um, feel free to plug away anything that you want to plug as we wrap up here. Definitely. So first of all, I would just say that if you live in the neighborhoods of South or Southwest Baltimore, meaning from Federal Hill and Riverside over to Pigtown and Carroll Park down to Westport, Lakeland, Cherry Hill, that whole area. Go to our website, learn about the work that we do, find out how we can support you. Get in touch with us and say, hey, I heard about you on this podcast. Let me tell you about what we're trying to make happen 
How can you help? So that's the first thing I would put out there. The second thing I would put out is that if you're not from South Baltimore and you're not spending all your time thinking about South Baltimore, pay attention and keep your ears open because there is a lot happening and it is happening very, very quickly. We have tens, in fact, maybe even close to $100 million worth of capital projects all around the middle branch at work right now. We're reopening rec centers that have been closed for 20 years. We are renovating ball fields and parks that have not had a dime of investment in a long time. We're funding youth groups and community organizations, giving them tens, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars to get the work done in their community. We're picking up trash. We're restoring the shoreline. A lot is happening. So pay attention, get involved, come take a look. If you want to know more, get in touch with me directly. I'll take you on a driving tour, show you everything we're doing. So there you have it, folks. Um, I want to thank uh, Brad Rogers yet again from the South Baltimore Gateway Partnership for being on this podcast. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there is development and community in and around Baltimore. You just have to look for it. <laughs>